This is Bob Cutmore, and the Historian's Podcast is underway. Our guest is Jane Spellman, author of Women Belong in History Books, Herkimer and Oneida Counties, 1700 to 1950. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Jane Spellman uh, primarily about the, the first woman in her book, Catherine Petrie Herkimer, the mother of the Revolutionary War uh, General uh, Nicholas Herkimer. Uh, and you're the retired uh, Herkimer County uh, Historical Society Executive Director. Um, just curious, uh, you have expanded the book to include Oneida County, and uh, why was that? Well, um, I, I don't know if, if you were aware of a wonderful organization that started in, eight, in 1998 called Utica Monday Night. A woman by the name of Lynn Michelini um, decided that the arts were so badly needed in downtown Utica, and she started a series of events throughout the downtown area asking various um, quote artists or people to perform and at that first Utica Monday night she asked she's a friend and she said would you please teach a course um, a 14 week course on Monday night um, through the summer at Utica Public Library and the topic is to be women um, wonderful women in two, for 200 years so uh, I was delighted to do that, and uh, of course, the minute I got there, we had I had a class of about 35 people. They all began telling me these wonderful people in Oneida County. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to, to say, well, yes, there were wonderful women in Oneida County, too. But the more we got together, it seemed that the two counties, um, we, we would share it and make it the two counties rather than just one. Um, and then it... Um, as I say, when I retired, I got involved in a lot of other things. I started writing some of the um, things. I'd done a lot of research and did some of the writing. But it was only last year that Lynn, again, was teaching a course um, at SUNY IT um, that she said, would I come and teach a class um, again on the same topic? So last year I went to take the class, and she looked at me and she said, you're not going to live long enough to do this on your own. <laughs> right. So we recruited some ladies in the class and my friends, um, fellow colleagues, and so 25 people joined the group mm. and continued. I'd, I'd, I'd finished about 18. Um, I had a list of about 135 um, my group of 22 other wonderful people jumped in, finished research, and wrote so that this first volume is coming out, and it will have 55 stories. Really? And the printer, it's encouraged us, uh, this is already, the book is 235 pages long, that we would do volume one. Mm-hmm. And even though the beginning of the book has a timeline and it has 135 women, it follows with just the 55 essays, um, and our hope is that we will do volume two, mm-hmm. uh, which we're hoping to start in the summer. So it's good you had help, and you've been at, been at this, I see in one news account, said you've been working on uh, this for 20 years? Yes, absolutely. Well, I retired in 1995, and um, I decided, you know, that I'd putter, as I say, I was puttering along till. Um, 
Lynn says you're, you're working too slowly and you better get going, and bless her. her she and her colleague, uh, who is also teaching class, Kathy Bishop, um, the two of them jumped in and said, this is, idea is worth doing, you better finish it. And then we were able to recruit um, a third, a fourth person, Judy Gorman, and what Judy did was go out and fundraise enough um, so we could keep the price mm. of the book as low as possible. Mm -hmm. And it also, uh, we pre-sold the book, um, which we had done with the history at 200. We've been successful in paying for the printing costs anyway. Mm -hmm. So in this year, we, um, our library has distributed um, brochures on the book, and I'm happy to say we were able to pay the printer and... Um, I can say as of today, uh, we have to put in the order for the second printing. The first 500 are almost gone. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, and since you've been talking about selling the book, how much does it cost? The book is, going, is now costing $25 plus tax. And um, as I say, we, um, um, the printer told us the book, uh, in the layout and all the rest of it should should be costing about thirty five or thirty six dollars, but happily, as I say, Judy's fundraising, we have twenty five people who gave very generous donations, so that um, we were able to keep the price down. Mm -hmm. And uh, one place I know that you can find out about the book to buy it or buy it is uh, where you uh, used to work, the Herkimer County right. Historical Society. Right. Yes, the Herkimer County Historical Society has been uh, both Sue Perkins and Carol Hobson, um, who I'm, I take great pride in saying I hired them, and so I consider that one of my greatest contributions to this area. Right. And both women have, uh, and the volunteers at, at the Society have been absolutely fabulous in getting the book distributed, and um, it's now in retail stores. Um, not as completely as we have, but we have to hold off till we get the second printing. Mm -hmm. But um, we also will be um, listed in the North Country Books catalog, mm -hmm. um, which is a fabulous um, resource for this area on local history books. Mm -hmm. And um, Rob, Bob Igo and, and um, Zach Steffen have been tremendous in helping us promote the book and giving us hints on how to get the book into the various bookstores. Yeah, let's see if I can draw you out on a couple more of the women in the book. We've talked about Catherine Petrie Herkimer. Uh, one other is the uh, a woman named Harriet Douglas Kruger. Who, who was she? Well, Harriet um, is one of our... I, I, we call her an adventurer because she was such an un, unusual woman. I, I don't know if the term Galveston Castle makes any sense to you. This is the wonderful 1834 stone mansion mm -hmm. that Harriet um, built in 1834. And it's on top of the mountain over, up over uh, Mohawk, New York. Um, it's near, near the Jordanville Monastery. Mm -hmm. um, it it um, Actually, it was Harriet's grandmother that had built the first building on this site in, in the 1790s, and it was called Henderson House. Mm -hmm. And it was named after her grandfather, who had been given the land uh, um, 
in in the early in the 1750s when nobody was up here at all and it was finally that margaret came up and actually uh, established a house and it's margaret's daughter harriet that loved the place and came up and built this gorgeous gorgeous um palace um and uh the the, the home became um very famous in the sense that um, Harriet married, um, but then divorced the, the ma- man she married, which was highly unusual at that time, mm-hmm. and they never had children. So when Harriet died, it went, the estate is going to go to her niece, um, who happened to be married to James Monroe, who would be the nephew of the president. Okay. Okay, so Harriet um, passes her t- tradition there, and it was the um, young um, Fanny Monroe, and her daughter, um, Fanny Monroe, is going to marry a man by the name of Robinson, and their child is going to be marrying, their son is going to marry Corinne Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. This would be Teddy's sister. Right. So we're, we continue that. It would also be Corinne is also Eleanor's aunt. Mm-hmm. Her son will become an assemblyman who is the same age as Franklin. Yeah, and to continue and with that kind of... Uh, so we've had presidents galore coming. Yes, well, to continue with that uh, theme of the, the Roosevelt family, I just happen to know this odd fact because I read about Amsterdam area history. Corinne's husband died at a hospital in Amsterdam uh, when he was taken from a train on his way back to Galston uh, Castle. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, I guess I, yeah, isn't that all right? That, so, the, 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 well, then you are, you're familiar with it. Well, well and also it, familiar from our friend uh, uh, Kyle Jenks, who puts on yeah. the uh, drums along the Mohawk outdoor pageant up there. Okay, all right, of course. Well, I think going, I, I'm drumming back to Harriet. She, um, and the woman, she's done a, a, Carol has done a wonderful job on, um, developing um, Harriet as an individual. She certainly um, was a person that um, I, I don't think she'd be very comfortable to live around. <laughs> she, she had a great deal of ambition. Um, mm-hmm. She loved traveling in Europe. She had the money to do that. Um, she definitely um, sought out literary people. Um, um, she was used to buying her way in, into anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, her tenure up there uh, in for Mohawk to build the house that she did, the imagination, um, the money, the fact that she loved the place. Um, uh, but on the other hand, um, the subsequent history is very interesting. But she herself, mm-hmm. uh, we deli- we um, we hesitated because I'm not sure she belongs in. Um, wi- um, women who made a huge contribution to the community because I don't think she did that. No. But I, but she certainly was a woman who deserved to be known. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let and, me. Uh, we're, we're, the minutes are passing by, Tim, as well, and I just want to ask you about one or at least one more person, let's say, or two if we can. Uh, who was Helen Curtis Marshall? Uh, she's described in the news account about your book as a community leader. Well, and and Mrs. Marshall, uh, again, um, 
married very late in life, never had any children, um, but she's the woman who uh, was responsible for starting the Mohawk Homestead. Now, this was um, in the 1890s. Um, at the time, um, she had a, a teacher who came, uh, and at that time, you couldn't be married to teach, which made it very difficult that with no pensions or things of that, a, a very well respected person who'd given a great deal to the community was destitute. And I think she saw this great need and got about 18 ladies together from forming the first all-county thing. She mm -hmm. didn't limit herself to her own community. She went all over the county to create the list. They bought a house, were able to pay off the mortgage within five years, and these ladies literally established this place for teachers who were destitute because they had no families. They were not allowed to have a family and teach. But again, the contribution, that institution still serves a huge community uh, need and is still, ex it, you know, is terribly valuable, but it was the beginning, again, of women getting together to solve a problem mm -hmm. that other women had and it was so easy to ignore these women but how horrible to have spent 20 years teaching people and then no pension no nothing yeah <laughs> unless you'd saved enough but you didn't have any family to support you but the homestead it was called the old ladies home mm -hmm. when they first started and was until it became the mohawk homestead in the 70s or 80s but now it's an assisted living um, institution. It's one of our more valuable um, assets to the community. She, Helen also um, was able to do, um, you know, she joined the other organizations, the library. Um, again, women got together and because the libraries are so important to communities, um, saw to it that the Weller Library started. Mm. They're named after men. Right. <laughs> which it's fine, but on the other hand, it was the women that put it together. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We have a few minutes left. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here, just assuming a connection can be made. I, know, I think it'll make sense to you in a moment. Uh, I have an idea, Jane Spellman, that you might have known my sister, who was a single woman who taught in Herkimer for many years. That uh, was Arlene oh, Cudmore. Oh, of course. Wonderful! I didn't put it together. Yeah. Oh, how great! And I know she well, belonged to. You'd be, you'd be very sympathetic, although uh, things are a little easier at this time than they were hundreds of years ago. Well, that's what but, I was thinking. Women belong in history books. You know, maybe my sister should be in there, for, or other women, uh, like some of her uh, friends that she knew, uh, who, who uh, taught school, like uh, Betty Jean Rep and and others uh, over the time. And I'm glad to hear that story about the home they had for the destitute older teachers. Well, it, it as I say, it started there and, of course, could, could it went a variety of ways. And over the hundred years, it's, ch it's changed. Um, you know, there are now men. It was started out just for women. And then, you know, they found a place for men. But there's a similar thing that happened in, in a, a Utica, in the sense, the Faxton home there. Um, I, the, you happened to pick three ladies that were mentioned from Herkimer County, but in, in the Oneida County area, we had so many of these 
a women that stuck um a, a woman who's um never ceases to amaze me is a woman by the name of Sophia Derbyshire Bags. Now her husband owned the local hotel. Mm-hmm. But Sophia had is the only woman in town that had a place big enough for to ask her friends over to do sewing circle and things like that. The only other big place you'd have would be a church, which were so male-dominated. But Sophia got the girls together to sew, and she was the first one to start an orphan asylum because, again, um, Utica had started to become what they call the cradle of the middle class in the sense that they had people um, that did didn't live on a farm. They weren't mm-hmm. self-sufficient. You had to have, um, um, before if a child was orphaned, you could be absorbed into a rural community. You know, there mm-hmm. was always room for one more um, for food. But in the city, that didn't happen. And so it was Sophia that started the first orphan asylum in the 1820s. Um, she also um, started a thing called the Mother's Club, um, which went national because um, the minister was telling the mothers, you're supposed to bring your kids up physically, but destroy them emotionally so that when they come to church, the minister can form the right person. Yipes. And you can imagine how a mother could pay attention to that. <laughs> Probably not. So the girls found themselves an organization, a self-help organization, on how they can strengthen their children growing up and not leaving it to a minister who could or could not um, impose what he felt was the right thing for a person to do. Mm. But it's exciting that these women saw the need, they got together, but they never took time to write it down. They mm-hmm. were so busy doing. Mm. And it's only after hours and hours and hours of research that we, we were able to find um, some of the inferences, some of the early city directories. We finally found that there was a female missionary society that was formed in Utica in 1816. Mm. Mm. And these girls were raised enough money to bring Charles Finney, the man who's given credit to being the the head of the burnt-over district of all upstate New York. He was a young minister, and he came and gave the retreat. Uh, Jane Spellman, I'm sorry, we're we're just out of time. Fascinating talking with you. Her book is called Women Belong in History Books, Herkimer and Oneida Counties, 1700 to 1950. Thank you for joining us on the Historian's Podcast. Thank you so much, Bob.